Hello and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.ie. Every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. If you want more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards. Uh, visit heinekenrugbyclub.com for more and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. Uh, before we kick off, Wednesday the 14th of November, due to popular demand, we have moved our show at Ronan O'Gara to Liberty Hall Theatre, 7pm. More tickets are on sale now, so thanks very much to everybody who got in contact. Sorry for your initial disappointment, but you have a second chance. Uh, I would advise you to act reasonably quickly, though, based on uh, the speed at which they've been going. My name is Gavin Casey. I'm joined in studio here by Murray Kinsler of the 42.ie. And not Andy Dunn, but the big man has come in to replace him. Stephen Ferris, you're just out of the car. Thanks for driving down to meet us. How are oh, you? No worries, no worries. I was down, uh, down pretty early there, um, doing a few things. So, bit of lunch. No, no, no. You bit came of lunch just for us, cor- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit of lunch around the corner, grab myself a donut and coffee, and I chat new boy. So, all good. All good. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, not to uh, take the tone down a notch, but a little bit of uh, sad news during the week for, you know, Ulster rugby, generally speaking, in Chris Henry stepping away. Fine career. What did he have? Twenty-four caps for Ireland. I yeah, think. twenty-four. 30, yeah, thirty-four years old. Uh, you, a man you know obviously very well, would have been arm in arm uh, on many an occasion. Yeah, definitely. Chris is uh, first of all, he's a great guy. Um, I think he was a phenomenal rugby player also, and you know he he had his troubles coming back from that mini stroke that he suffered on the morning. I think playing against South Africa when you know Reese Roddick had the run down and get get the doctor, and you know everybody thought that he wasn't going to play another minute of rugby again. But he turned things around and he got back onto the rugby pitch. He's 34 years of age now and I think he feels it's the right time. It's his testimonial year. He can put a lot of time and effort into that. I know he struggled with a few injuries this season. He's played a couple of games from Malone this year, um, picked up a shoulder injury, rotator cuff injury. I think he's just like, you know, I've, I've had enough of this. All these young guns are coming in, getting the opportunity. So for him, you know, he's the kind of guy that isn't just going to hang around all season and pick up a paycheck. He would just mm. rather... You know, hang up the boots, say thank you very much for everything that Ulster have gave, Ulster and Ireland have gave to him, uh, and move on. And you know, he, he's an absolute gentleman, and I wish him all the very best in his retirement. Um, and no doubt we'll be meeting up for plenty of coffees uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, can you get me a gig, Stephen? Yeah, oh, get on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, would you say part of it just comes down to the fact that Ulster? It, I suppose it seems to be a bit of a new dawn up there now, and maybe it's not even necessarily a transition, but almost an overhaul in a way. And he. Might have been part of the furniture but the club is probably looking into a new era now and he felt yeah this is this is my time yeah I think so um, a couple of guys last year Andy Trimble had another year left in his contract hung up the boots Robbie Diak exactly the same and I believe Chris Henry you know was approached at the end of last season about possibly um, you know taking the same road that those guys took so uh, he wanted to hang in there um, a new coach coming in uh, maybe we're looking a bit more of experience in the back row who who knew what Marcel could say was going to do when he came back um, but thankfully he's injury free at present uh, so Chris yeah he's just taking the decision now he's got a couple of months under his belt few injuries tallying up and he's taking the decision to hang up the boots but um, yeah I'm, it's never easy to retire you know I've been there I've struggled with injury um, it's more of a mental you know strain than a physical one um, and it's just getting your head around it and I actually met Chris for a cup of coffee um, about geez, maybe about two months ago, and he was just picking my brain about retirement, about what I was getting things, getting into, and um, you know who to speak to, speak to the right people, surround yourself with positive people, 
just all the you know, I was just saying all the all the things that you would say to somebody who's mm. who, who's he wasn't going to hang up the boots then, but I could tell that it was in the back of his mind and it, and it was coming around thick and fast. Um, and I think the whole testimonial year with dinners, golf days, has been a really really good distraction for him. So um, yeah, he's he's a great guy, and um, yeah, no doubt he'll be ringing me looking a few gigs for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can look back on incredible memories though as well on the pitch. Like we're going to be talking about Joe Schmidt's Ireland now, where they are and there journey towards the World Cup he was there right at the start of Joe Schmidt's reign and played a massive role in that 2014 Six Nations uh, campaign started all five games was really influential when they were kind of setting standards for the ruck to break down all those things he helped set those standards and he had a couple of nice offloads I remember the one to Johnny Sexton over in Paris as That's well right, yeah. um, so very skillful player as well and yeah he, he leaves behind a, a really good career Fair play to him uh, interesting week in the Southern Hemisphere this week we've a couple more things to run through um uh, Razzy Rasmus has been doing some very interesting <laughs> yeah. tackle coaching uh, in Springbok training. I suppose like there, there's not an awful lot left to be said about uh, Owen Farrell's tackle now, given we're late in the week. But uh, clearly, the Springboks remained aggrieved uh, yeah. into midweek at least. Um, what was your opinion on the actual challenge, Murray? Briefly, if you wouldn't mind, like if you were a referee there, yeah. is it a penalty? Yeah, definite penalty. I think everyone's in agreement. I think most international test referees are in agreement that it was a penalty. I think Angus Gardner probably would be as well yeah. on upon review. Um, Razzie was unbelievably deadpan in the press conference afterwards. He said, "We're going to practice this tackle technique. It's brilliant." He was asked if he was sarcastic. No, no, it's brilliant tackle technique. I think we need to bring this into our our game. And yeah, it was an hilarious video. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Uh, his mischievous. But I think behind closed doors, he's been uh, pretty vicious in, in his review. And I guess for them, you'd hope they've moved on and focused on a couple of other things. They're playing France this weekend and their lineup was absolutely appalling. At key times against England, they overthrew three times in the in the 22. And, and for me, that was what cost them the game more. Obviously, you focus on that big moment in the last minute. And it was wrong. It did go against them. But I don't think there was a guarantee there either. No. Uh, of well, the, the, game, the game should have been dead and buried. But exactly. at that stage, it should never have, the result should never have hung on a on a penalty decision whether it was right or wrong of, of Owen Farrell to make that hit. You know, South Africa should have been out of sight by half time and, and they weren't and they paid the price uh, at the end of the game. I thought England came into the game pretty well in the second half, got into a bit more of a flow. But, um, you know, like I love seeing physicality when it comes to international rugby and to see Owen Farrell come out of the line and put a huge hit in and the South Africa player to go flat on his backside. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely amazing viewing, really good viewing. However, when you watch it back, and, you know, you see young kids maybe watching it leading with the shoulder. It wasn't that it was a high tackle. It mm. was just that he led with the shoulder. Um, and, you know, I think if I was still playing professional rugby at this minute in time, <laughs> I'd be yellow carded and red carded every single week <laughs> because I led with my shoulder all the time. Because if you just tackle with your arm, it's a lot more difficult to get a shot on somebody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a penalty was probably well, the right decision. I, was, Murray, you know? I, I, I would reckon if Stephen was still playing rugby and he made that exact hit last week, he would have been yellow or red carded. Like, I think there's an element of... I don't know. I, I think people are kind of confusing two issues here. The, the high tackles, which are above the shoulder line. Yeah. Yeah, that is yellow or red definitely every time now. It, it wasn't that kind of tackle. His head did obviously dip over because of the impact. Really interesting what you say. If Esther Hazen had won that collision, that contact it wouldn't have been even noticed. It was because Farrell was so dominant with his shoulder. If Esther Hazen actually gets a better kind of explosive movement into the tackle, he lands up on top of, of Farrell onto the ground and, and then the, the shoulders kind of well, Farrell, could, wrap Farrell could even end up on his backside. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No. In he, which case, he, he goes over the top in, of him uh, and wraps his arms in the process. So it, he was almost punished for 
putting such a big shot on, but yeah, there was enough there for the referee, certainly with the arm, the right arm down by his side. Yeah, it did seem as though the attempt to wrap was kind of an afterthought or almost a token gesture at that point. Like that, if you, I know it's difficult. Like things always look at worse in slow motion, but if you do freeze frame it, like his shoulder collides with the uh, yeah with that season before uh, his arms even move towards uh, wrapping. So yeah, and that's that's a pen, and I think he'll probably have learned a, a bit of a lesson. It is unfortunate that he's going to maybe have to take some of that physicality out of his game because it is riveting to watch, especially from an out half like him who's just so combative. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a penalty. Yeah. Just briefly on that, like, I mean, say if you were still playing and you would have had to have made some of these adjustments, how difficult would it be to adjust, actually? I was like, thinking about it the whole way down in the car and about the tackle and, you know... I was thinking that there was a there was a hit on I think it was Rory Best on Stephen Moore a couple of years ago where Stephen Moore got really really low and Rory tackled him with his arm and because Stephen Moore was really low he actually hit him on the head with his arm so if he had a if if you're trying to use your arm or you're trying to use your shoulder the only way that you can kind of get around this is by going and tackling around the ankles and wrapping around with uh, with your arms around the ankles or pull the pull the guy to ground now if you're on your own try line and you do that. It's going to be a try mm. nine out of ten times, so it's just being smart about it. Um, me, I think there was a, a game against uh, Claremont that uh, Ulster played Claremont at home. I think we won. And Ian Humphrey scored a great try down the right hand side. Lee Byrne carried a ball back, and I, I exactly the same thing. I smashed him, but my arm kind of went right of me. And Wayne Barnes was the referee, and he said play on, and. It was nearly identical to what Owen Farrell did um, at Twickenham there on Saturday. So, yeah, for me, it would take a lot of adjustment because I like to try and hit high and target the ball. Um, And that's something Ireland maybe did a little bit better in the second half against Italy last week and uh, stopped a lot lot more of the offloading game. But, yeah, I think it's something you got to practice and you got to practice it. And, you know, getting up on a Monday after, you know, a hard 80 minutes of, and going to tackle practice on a Monday morning of tackling low uh, <laughs> wouldn't really be my cup of tea. But An uh, earlier it's, it's, it's the way the game's going. Yeah, it absolutely. is. And you got to adjust. Interesting article in the uh, New Zealand Herald, Murray, during the week from Gregor Paul, who uh, made <laughs> made the, um, the, well, the assertion that the New Zealand coaching staff uh, don't have a lot of time for Brad Shields, who they will come up against this weekend in English calls, of course. Yeah, curious played, timing. Played a won a World Junior Championship or uh, in twenty eleven, I think, for New Zealand, right? Yeah, and he was on the radar quite often over the last five years. Just didn't push into the squad. I, I like Gregor Paul is a pretty well informed guy when it comes to Steve Hansen's thoughts. Oh, very um, well informed, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know where this is coming from in the week that they're going to be playing against Brad Shield. I, I thought it was a bit. Um, a bit disappointing to be honest uh, like they didn't select Brad Shields he had an opportunity to go to play for England yeah you can have a debate about whether that's right a guy going uh, across to England having not lived there all his life and playing but he has his, his parents qualifying for England um, and I just thought it was, a, it was a bit of a scathing attack on a guy who's just pursuing his career I didn't really like the article but it says a lot about where New Zealand rugby is they're worried about that exodus of players and I guess it's a warning to others if you go and, uh, uh, and pursue your career elsewhere, you're you're turning your back and we'll turn our back on you and mm. leave a pretty scathing attack on you as well. Yeah, because like Paul makes the argument, I suppose, that uh, maybe the coaching staff feels Shields lacks integrity a little bit in the sense that he was always trying to become an all-black and then as soon as he sort of realised, okay, that's unlikely to happen, he immediately switched his allegiance. But like the, yeah. p- the parental connection is there also. It's not like a... 
a mercenary type situation either, you know? It seemed like... Yeah, odd... 25 grand a game is pretty attractive. Very yeah. attractive. <laughs> well, listen, I play for England... Actually, no. <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence, but uh, yeah, like, as you mentioned there, the New Zealand concern is players leaving, but like, when you have the plethora of talent that they have, and not every outstanding player is going to figure for the All Blacks, I mean, you have to expect, I think, in this modern age, that some of those players are going to... yeah be exported well, or you'd, you'd be defend, imported yeah. by a foreign country you defend your resources as strongly as you can the RFU have done it by making sure that no one can go abroad and, and play for Ireland anymore everyone's doing it um, and particularly now when I guess a lot of international teams are scouting these guys out you know Ireland and Scotland are doing it a lot Will Addison's a guy who's come into the frame uh, through his uh, mother's connection to, to Fermanagh um, and it's happening a lot more and I guess that's the concern that New Zealand rugby where a lot of guys have heritage in I don't know Scotland Ireland potentially um, other countries around Europe that they're going to be scouted better and, and those connections are going to be discovered a little bit more so that's definitely a concern for them I know they are a few um I know they've looked at the NRL, the, the Rugby League in Australia, and there's over 100 guys playing in that league who are qualified to play for Ireland. So it's something that's a, a developing trend in, in international rugby because they've extended that residency period out to five years. So, yeah, I guess watch this space a little bit more. Yeah, I do enjoy the thought of big Jack Charlton down in Rotorua doing a little bit of scouting. Uh, but let's talk <laughs> about Ireland uh, while we're on that topic. Um, team is named for this weekend, firstly. 13 changes from the team that beat Italy. Jordan Larmer starts, so he keeps his place. And so too does Bundy Aki, but he starts in the 13 shirt alongside Robbie Henshaw at 12. It's actually a really interesting team. Yeah, it is. And even in the second row, Ian Henderson and James Ryan start with Devon Toner on the bench. Like Tyg Byrne was the, the man of the moment last weekend at another brilliant performance against Italy, uh, albeit against weaker opposition. But his form has been exceptional. And I guess that's one of the toughest decisions he's had to make. Those three guys, for me... Uh, warrant their selection though they've delivered for Joe Schmidt so many times and that's what he often bases his uh, selections on it's guys who have done it at this level for him rather than a guy who's been tearing it up in club rugby now you say Byrne probably needs a chance to do that at test level um, and, and you would hope that he gets a couple more opportunities this month but I, I think that's a really nice complimentary uh, second row pairing Henderson and Ryan are both so dynamic Henderson has kind of grown into that role of calling the line out uh, and James Ryan just continues to get better his ball carrying off nine now is probably unparalleled in terms of second row play he's exceptional at that again the back row as well is an interesting one particularly with Dan Levy on the bench straight off um, playing in South Africa for Leinster last weekend he was really good over there again weak opposition but again he's proven He last season he was a massive part of that Grand Slam and getting him up to speed ahead of the biggest test of the month as well uh, next week make, makes sense for me I think it looks really strong that Irish team um, obviously Rob Carney's missing through injury so as you say Larmer gets his chance but uh, it looks really balanced. There's a nice blend of experience there. Obviously, Kieran Marmion gets his opportunity with, with Conor Murray missing. He has 22 caps and and for him, it's an, another opportunity to, to kind of nail down that place against the All Blacks. Big man, your thoughts on the back row in particular. It's a bit of an old school vibe to it yeah. in, in, in a way, you know, considering the uh, multitude of options Joe Schmidt has there to go back to that it's the sort of the back row you would have expected to see like circa 2016, I suppose. Yeah, and I think the surprise for me is probably Sean O'Brien. I watched him play over against Benetton and, you know, he just got about his work, didn't do anything too fancy, just, you know, got to work and I, I thought he just had a solid game. But I think Joe's now throwing him in here to test him, to see exactly where he's at, to see if he can pick up the form of the Lions tour when he was absolutely amazing. Um, and I think Sean's injury profile over the last couple of years hasn't been great. 
And I think this is the opportunities that Joe's kind of given Sean and saying, right, I'm giving you a chance here, Sean. You know, this could possibly be your last chance because, you know, coming into a World Cup year, if he's not going to perform over the next few weeks, there's plenty of guys that are uh, there that are playing superb rugby. But, you know, Peter Omani, CJ Stander, I think they were shooting. Um, I just I just love watching Peter Omani play. Like, it, he, he's, he's not... He's not a physical beast who runs around running over people like Dwayne Vermeulen or somebody like that. He's just got so many other attributes to his game that I kind of admire that I wish I had when I played. Um, just his line-out defense ability, the way he can get over the ball. He reads the game very well. Um, he gets himself in the end of try-scoring opportunities. Um, he's usually there in a last-ditch tackle opportunity. So... Um, and CJ Standard, geez, the guy will just carry. It wouldn't matter if a game lasted 480 minutes, he would <laughs> still carry until the last minute. Um, and he's just solid as a rock. I thought Jack Conan played pretty well, actually, against Italy. But um, if you want one man to keep trucking all day, it's CJ Standard. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, about Peter Omani. I mean, he's, he's not this sort of like hulk of a specimen for the modern back row i mean he would have had stints out in the wing for con he was he landed out there a couple of times for monster i think in emergency situations but you know there was a point made about ty burn during the week for example that like his uh, ability to read the game is almost born of like research and an understanding and putting in work off the field if you like and i get the impression omani is similar because like i i grew up down the road from him he's lived rugby breathed it for his entire life but, but I think a lot of people write him off like so mm. a lot of people write him off because he's not steamrolling people and because he's not absolutely smashing people in the fence so people always go oh yeah you look you know there's Jack Conan he's you know he's much better carrier he's more powerful but like when it comes to the crunch and you want somebody to turn up week in week out in international rugby usually 9 out of 10 times will do that for you and I think that's why he's always there thereabouts and vice captain also so um, yeah for me I think he's a shame when it comes to the back row mm. and that's the thing I think a lot of people you ask them what's your best iron back row they'll pick the three strongest ball carriers yeah. what's the best yeah. back three they'll pick the three best attacking players individually um, but there, you, you know Stephen there's so much more to it you mentioned the line out mm. defence that's huge you mentioned winning line out uh, ball on your own throw as well absolutely massive Omani is a guy you, you sort of smarts for that turnover against Glasgow to, where he sends Stander in to take out the latch player little things like that he's latching onto guys getting them through holes he's holding width at times intelligently he's got a, a good handling ability as well and, and they're probably the lesser noticed details I wouldn't say un seen but they're lesser noticed that he consistently contributes like we go through the rook stats very often and he's always up the top of that he's always delivering good quality hits through the course of the 60 or 80 minutes whatever he plays so I think he has a massive role to play there and I think his line out ability uh, the balance there is really important we'll probably talk about Australia later on their back row hasn't had that line out option they've really struggled at their line out so I think these smaller details probably tend to get less notice and they're really important it's, it's, a, it's a really good balance and people always come up to me and say about oh the back row of myself Jimmy Heaslip and Sean O'Brien oh it was brilliant but like between the three of us none of us were brilliant lineout operators so Jimmy always used to step in on five man lineouts and five man defensive lineouts if somebody like Pete was in there and you had either myself and Sean or Jamie and Sean or whoever playing then I think the balance is a lot better and yeah, we might have been brilliant going forward and making big hits and getting turnovers, but it's just finding that small that small couple of percent that's going to beat the opposition in big games. And I think Pete you know, deserves a lot of credit for being able to slip into that role. Massively. One wonders then, though, that like going back to 2017, if it wasn't for an injury to Jamie, he slipped at short notice. Like, 
O'Malley could still be on the periphery of the team. Like I'm sure he would have gotten an opportunity and seized it in the meantime. But like that performance against England that day, uh, two years ago or two Six Nations ago was kind of a seminal moment in his international career. He hasn't looked back since. Yeah, it was, but he, you have to remember he's, oh, he was on the way, on the journey back from a, a long-term injury yeah, still yeah. At, at that point. I think he would have backed himself and a lot of other people would have backed him to get back into that, that back row and provide the balance there. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing Sean O'Brien. I think he will. You say it's a challenge. He just loves a challenge like that, doesn't he? I remember 2016 in Dublin, he came back against the All Blacks having not really played a whole lot. Four turnovers, some massive carries. He just thrived in that environment. Um, and we were speaking to Richie McCaw earlier on for a, he was promoting something. He was talking about his respect for Sean O'Brien. Like they really do uh, rate him down there with reason. He always he just lives for these big occasions, and I think he's going to uh, make himself undroppable for that All Blacks match. So what can we expect then from Ireland from a tactical perspective? Like, you know, wholesale changes from the Italy game, which, you know, we made a couple of jokes last week. Is it a friendly? Is it not? Probably the, you know, it was it test level intensity? I, I'm not sure. Looking at a couple of Larmer's tries, I think Italy probably phoned it in halfway through. So, but this one is, you know, this is legitimate. Like this is going to be a fairly titanic showdown, in which case you'd expect structure and whatnot are really going to be required um, where will Joe Schmidt look to sort of, I suppose, impose Ireland's will, get ahead of uh, the Pumas? Like, where do their advantages lay, I suppose? Yeah, Johnny Sexton being back obviously changes so much about, um, particularly how they go about phase play. I thought, particularly in the first half last week, Joey Carberry's still learning um, and Joe Schmidt was talking about after the game, maybe his halfbacks took the slightly conservative choice at times, just hit runners directly. Um, there wasn't too much subtlety to it and they didn't really get the the kind of shape that would allow them to go out the back door and maybe hit that width. Um, that came in the second half a little bit more as Italy probably tired in defence and Ross Byrne actually manufactured a couple of good opportunities. You think of Bundiaki out the back, uh, linking with Gary Ringrose for his try, even Larmer's second where um, they got to the width again through Ringrose, draws in the edge defender and puts Alarmer away so I think they'll look for a bit more um, variety in their face play because they, they always have a lot of ball um, and that's been one of the big developments for this team probably in the last year you know trying to get beyond just bashing just being really direct just trying to win penalties or, or grind down the opposition um, and have guys get on the ball in the forwards use those three man pods and, and come out the back door to, to the backs Robbie Henshaw was talking a bit about that that he's being asked to maybe distribute a bit more and be more of a, a playmaker than just a, a carrier offset piece. Um, so I think that development will be, you know, will be ongoing this November and, and Sexton certainly helps uh, to, to steer that ship. Larmer, obviously at 15, does change your, your attacking focus. We kind of talked about uh, kick return and turnover last week. Um and you saw how dangerous he is when it's slightly broken up, when there are defenders in ones and twos or a lazy prop in, in, the, in the chase line, whatever it is. So I think he opens up a lot more possibility um, in, in that element of it as well. Um, and one for me as well would be the the mall. I think Ireland two years ago, three years ago, like that was such a big, big weapon for them. They made they scored so many tries off it, first of all, but they made so much yardage Um kind of in the middle third as well it takes a bit of pressure off your face play make 10 metres and win a penalty potentially I think that has slightly declined a little bit um, and I think coming into the World Cup they'll, they'll put a big focus on that so I think it's a, a good test for the, for the forwards in that in that dimension Yeah that's an interesting point about them all uh, Stephen is that like does that come down to opposition being a little bit more acclimatised or prepared for Ireland's mall or is it maybe that 
when your focus lies elsewhere on the training pitch the mall might hasn't come apart it's still quite a strong unit but isn't quite as um, destructive as it has been it's still a strong unit like they scored off a mall at the weekend you know with with Sean Cronin but I definitely agree with Murray in terms of uh, you know it's almost like a tactic of Ireland's now where if they win a kickable penalty that's close to the 15 they'll they'll back themselves and they'll kick to the corner Um, and you know, sometimes it's a lack of communication, a throw just not right, um, and it's just the very, very small things that will make it click. There's no doubt. Like, the guys are practicing their mauling week in, week out, and, um, you know, it will be something that they'll need to, to, to work on going forward, especially getting into the World Cup when you get into the latter stages. But I just think at the weekend, they were just maybe 5-10% off the money. Um, the, the commentators, I'm not sure who who it was that was commentating at the weekend, was saying about Luke McGrath and how good he was, and he was brilliant. But like you look at his his first half box kicking, you know it was very very poor, and yeah, it was wavered, you know yeah. he he dropped the ball when he was in the backfield, and he missed a tackle off uh, set play, and it just wasn't on the money. Um, and you look at somebody like Connor Murray, whose box kicks are just always on the money. And I think Joe will be talking about that this week. It's the small things against Argentina. You cannot be affording to give them the ball back as easily as they give Italy the ball back. And and the other thing for me was the amount of offloads that Italy got away in the tackle in the first half. Like, it was crazy. And if you're going to do that against uh, the Pumas or New Zealand, you're going to pay a penalty. They're going to get in behind you. They're going to score tries. They're going to score points. Um, and they'll be that'll be a big focus, targeting the ball, slowing it down. And even in the second half, they did do that. Uh, Josh van der Fleer got a good turnover. Uh, Bundiaki got a good turnover. And, uh, and they seem to be working quite well on that. So, um, yeah, just the small things, the basics this week. And, and make sure when they, they go out that uh, they hit all those and generally when you talk about Ireland you talk about their consistency um, and they need to get back to that after that if he start against Italy yeah like going back to the point that Murray made about Larmer then and, and sort of adding another string to your bow offensively I suppose like for because Rob Kearney has been fullback for years I, I often find that his own ball carrying ability kind of gets taken for granted in a way. It's he always looks as though he has to carry it extra hard because he's not quite the, the sort of modern uh, prototype rugby player physically, right? Careful what you say yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I know. Yeah, <laughs> he's listening, no doubt. But uh, but with Larmer, like I mean, look, he's not as established a player. There's plenty uh, for him to work on that that Carney is far better at. But what he does have is that sort of game breaking ability, and he can take one to the house from from eighty yards out yeah. for a forward. Like if you're, I don't know, if you're chasing back somebody as uh, the Argentinian fly half on on at the weekend has, has kicked it long. And you're turning around and you see your fullback taking it back to the house. Like, that must be a serious boost for yourselves running around to every rock and all of a sudden you're, you're, you can stay in halfway line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I hope for a lot of the time when uh, Rob was bringing it back. But Rob, when he brings the ball back, he brings it back at more pace and he almost has like a skip before yeah. before contact. And that skip isn't the same as Jordan Armour's electric feet where he can bounce and then bounce back the other way. Um, and I think he recognises who's in front of him when he does that, where sometimes I think Rob just goes, right, I just need to truck this up, recycle ball. As soon as it's recycled, get into get into the backfield or you know, get into the position that I'm needed. Um, but like when it comes to experience, you know, I've played with Rob Carney so many times. The high ball, the option off the left foot. You know, Joey Carberry hit one off his left foot there, um, done pretty well. But just to have that option there instead of bringing Stockdale or something in with the left peg. So, uh, look, Jordan Armour is electric. He's very exciting. But for me, if, you know, Rob Carney's fit next week, I think Rob Carney slips back in there. And I go back to Murray's point, tried and tested. He's beaten the All Blacks. He's been there. Um, and, you know, for me, Rob's 
one of the best in the world. Yeah, that's a, that's a probably the interesting thing about this team. Like, it is very much a two week block. It's going to be interesting to see if this is dead on set. The the selection he's trying to prepare for. I don't, I don't think it is for the All Blacks. I don't I, think it is. I, I'd agree with you. Yeah, I think there's going to be changes again. Not rotation quite, but I think he views November differently to how he views the Six Nations, where you just go full strength every single weekend. Like Byrne could come back in and have an opportunity against the All Blacks. So yeah, I, I think he's I think he's going to change it again ne- next weekend. Uh, chat to me a little bit about Kieran Marmion then and how, well, his introduction, I suppose, in a way uh, impacts that 9-10 axis. Like, uh, again, probably a guy who's a little bit underrated. I, I think maybe people associate Marmion with almost cameo appearances and yet he's actually done some really stellar jobs in the Irish yeah. over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, lining out alongside Johnny Sexton, like, to borrow the American time, they'll have had plenty of reps and I'm sure there will be a kind of a a chemistry established there by now, just maybe not quite as, I don't know, natural or, or almost subconscious as as the Murray and, and Sexton combination. Yeah, well, he's part of the furniture under Joe Schmidt. He has 22 caps, but he's been there pretty much every single camp. Knows exactly what's expected. Like you mentioned, people associate him with cameos. People probably associate him as a wing almost. You, you <laughs> yeah. mentioned Kiermaier in, in Ireland. They go, oh, brilliant, brilliant job on the wing against Australia. He did a brilliant job at scrum half against England in 2017 yeah. uh, to den- help deny them a Grand Slam. Uh, he's been good in, in other games at scrum half as well. And his performances for Connacht have been really consistent as well. Um, probably go under the radar a little bit because maybe people don't watch Connacht as much. Um, obviously, his box kicking, you mentioned, Stevie, is not the same uh, same uh, pedigree and, and the consistency of his pass is not quite the same, but you're comparing to the best nine or, or maybe joint best nine in, in the world uh, in that in that department. Um, he gets good tempo in the game. Um, he will have a good understanding with, with Johnny Sexton based on being in, in camp an, an awful lot as well. And he's actually a really good defender. I think all the Irish nines are pretty um, brave defenders and, and actually like that aspect of the game. So I think you expect a massive drop-off. He's going to make huge errors, but realistically, every time he's come on, um, bar a couple of maybe loose passes against Australia there in the summer, I, I think he's done pretty well. And I certainly think he's deserving of this chance um, and a chance against the All Blacks next weekend. So, you, yeah, I was going to ask both of you that, actually, because we had this, you, yourself and Andy Dunn had a, a vicious disagreement <laughs> on air last weekend or last week about this. But, like, say if Marmion goes well this weekend and hypothetically Conor Murray was actually available next week did, which side of the debate did you come down on again last week about the scrum house yeah who would you start basically if Murray yeah. if both were available if Murray was available do you oh sorry if Murray start? was available I said I, I back Murray to start That's and, right, and beat yeah. the All Blacks that was my thinking on that one but if, if he's not he was in Dubai and Paris this week so he didn't even train with Ireland we can maybe take it for granted that he's going to miss the All Blacks game um, I think Marmion earns that shot for me, John Cooney's probably the most similar to Murray uh, in terms of the tactical kicking for, for Ulster this season has been really excellent and last season. Um, they're quite similar in their skill sets, but he's obviously so less experienced. And, you know, you have your depth chart there coming into a World Cup. I think the experience for, for Marmion is much more valuable and I think he just deserves to, to get that opportunity having sat behind Murray for, for so long. Yeah. Would you go along with that, Stephen? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think... You know, people deserve their opportunities and um, Kieran Marmon's definitely definitely deserving of an opportunity to start in a big game um, and show what he's what he's got. And I don't think, you know, those 22 caps, I don't think he showed, 
you know, the world, what he's capable of. I think there's plenty more in the tank. Um, but, you know, he's got big boots to fill in Conor Murray. And even if Conor Murray, you know, was available next week, I don't think it's worth risking, you know, him being out so long with a, with a bad injury. Just get this block of games over and done with and then, you know, reevaluate everything come Six Nations. And, you know, I think Murray might agree with me. I'm not sure that this team that's playing against Argentina on Saturday is going to be the same team that plays against New Zealand. I think there's going to be a number of changes. Hmm. Uh, what about then, just very briefly, the uh, centre pairing? Obviously, two players that are extremely familiar with each other uh, started together in Paris in the Six Nations, but in reverse in that uh, this weekend, Aki is at 13, Henshaw's at 12, and in Paris it would have been Henshaw at 13 and Aki at 12. Did they swap again, actually, a week yeah, after that? Yeah, it might be interesting to see where they actually line up, yeah. um, to be honest, when they get on the pitch. But... I do think that guy Ringrose is a really important player for Ireland now. And I think we saw that towards the end of the, the Grand Slam when he came back in. And he's just, a, he's almost like a playmaker now where, where if Johnny Sexton's on the ground, if he's in a ruck, if he's on the opposite side of the pitch, Ringrose is getting really comfortable at organising now. You've seen him step into first receiver and we, we've discussed that quite a bit. Um, even not just his passing, but his actual footwork. You know, if you're battering against a defence, just a little jink, get a half uh, half break or a soft shoulder, then the next carry for the forwards is, is much easier. They can really come onto the ball. Um, so he's been really important in that regard. You, you even think some of the big penalties they've won is often off the back of a good ring rose carry. The defence is slightly panicked um, and then they concede. So I think he will be missed, but these are two pretty special centres as well and, and extremely physical. Henshaw has always tried to push his footballing ability and it's something that he definitely enjoys doing you saw him sit back to 15 for or to fullback for Leinster a couple of weekends ago and, and really enjoyed it he said um, so there is that side to his game as well but like I don't think you're going to be a, a weak centre pairing with those two guys uh, lining up together So it's that time of week again where we give away a copy of Behind the Lines Volume 2 available in Dubray Books and on our online store and also available if you buy a ticket to our uh, show at Raj next week, it's part of the deal for 20 bob. Sure, where would you be going? Uh, but a couple of questions. Yeah, like, um, well, actually, they're all Argentina related. So that's that's perfect. It takes us into Argentina chat. Uh, Owen Nalen uh, wonders, will Argentina enjoy another top four finish at the Rugby World Cup? Uh, and then Jangles Gavigan, our old friend, Murray. Oh. Jangles was telling me on Twitter earlier that he killed a man, or at least he, uh, <laughs> or at least that he caused him to have a heart attack. No, I think he survived. Actually, sorry, my apologies, Jangles. But anyway, um, he asks: uh, Given Argentina's record at World Cups and uh, the Jaguars' progression in Super Rugby, are they an outside bet to win the whole thing in the World Cup? That's a big call. Um, I don't. For me, they don't look like contenders just yet, but they're they're improving pretty quickly under Mar- Mario Ledesma and Gonzalo Casada. Uh, those guys have come in a new coaching ticket, and they definitely needed that. It had gone pretty stale under Horcad, and even in the summer series, they lost two games to Wales, lost at home to Scotland, didn't really look competitive. They do have obviously really good individual talent, and you're getting guy like uh, Bautista Delgi on the wing bursting through. Twenty one year old, four tries in eight games. So they're always going to have that that talent. I don't think they're as organised or as uh, advanced in their journey towards a World Cup as Ireland are. But I mean, there's there's different ways to win a World Cup. It doesn't have to be a four year project. Mm. Uh, other nations can can come together, and that can actually be a strength to the group. We're trying to catch up here, maybe a bit of a chip on the shoulder. Uh, everyone's doubting us, kind of thing. Um, no, I don't. I don't see them as World Cup contenders just yet. Um, 
going back to Owen Nalen's question semi-finalists that seems achievable for them yeah certainly is achievable like they've really good players across the team and um, even in that back three um, uh, Buffelli at fullback is an excellent player as well their back row is obviously very dynamic Um, this weekend a strange kind of selection with Petty the second row going to to blindside flanker um, didn't really see that coming Um, but they've other guys like Kramer there and um, yeah, they'll certainly be a, a tough uh, task in a, a World Cup for anyone. But for me, they don't look like that uh, kind of top tier team just yet. Yeah, this one uh, might be best suited to you, Stephen. Actually, from a player's perspective, I suppose. Do Ireland? This is from Rian Mac fifteen, by the way. Do Ireland still want revenge from uh, that game in the World Cup in twenty fifteen? And if so, is that to Ireland's advantage? Like, I suppose they've played each other in a test last year, anyway. So. Uh, has the revenge thing been kind of put to bed at this point? Yeah, like, do you yeah, move on? Yeah, I think I think it's long forgotten about now. I think when the World Cup kind of approaches and they're in a similar situation where they've maybe got a quarterfinal to wake up to that, you know, with the way they slipped up against Argentina, you know, might be brought up again, but I don't think it'll be brought up going into this match. For me, Argentina, they're a good side. They play attack and rugby, but they just concede too many points. Um, and it doesn't matter how good attacking threat you've got if you're conceding on average 33 points a game like they have done in the last mm. six games there's just no chance that you're going to be winning World Cups uh, so you know you can have all the talent you want but they got to get the defensive systems in place and I think um, you know all the best teams in the world are. I've got a pretty solid defence so uh, no no revenge I don't think will be talked about in the change rooms leading up to this match That's fair we'll say let's open it up to both of you then like if you combine that fact that they're conceding 33 points on average per game but also that they do have quite a, a potent uh, attacking threat how much of a genuine threat as an overall package are they to Ireland this weekend certainly yourself yeah there's certainly dangers there like I think the thing with them is they're trying to change the way they play um, even this week in, over here in Dublin they've been talking about that um, they actually kick more than anyone else in the rugby championship on, on average now um, New Zealand are the lowest in the championship but they're kicking nearly 23 times a game which would be a, a change for them they're actually conceding the fewest turnovers which would have been a massive issue for them over the last few years just really loose offloading uh, just kind of wild play so they're trying Trying to rein that in a little bit, but as Stephen says, it's, it's still uh, resulting in 33 points a game that, that they're conceding. Um, to be honest, I think Ireland should be quite confident coming into this game, even somewhere like the front row where traditionally Argentina would have been really strong. They're struggling massively there. Uh, I think they're only winning 80% of their own ball in the, in the most recent rugby championship, conceding seven penalties on, on their own feed and a five more on the opposition feed. So something that you would have considered as a kind of uh, cornerstone of, of their play and their rugby has really gone backwards. And they're up against Tyke Furlong and Keane Healy coming in fresh and, and Rory Best probably out to prove a big point with um, a big year ahead kind of leading in hopefully to, for him for the, the captaincy for the World Cup. So um, like I don't, I, don't, I don't think Ireland will be in any way arrogant or complacent. I think they'll give them the respect they deserve. But for me, they should be uh, confident on home soil yeah out wide Stephen has been an issue for Ireland probably over the last year or so I mean if there was one area which Argentina might target particularly with someone like Bautista Delgay who as Murray pointed out is, is a sensational talent uh, no doubt like is that I don't know is that where you can be where Ireland can be gotten at um, from yeah, Argentina's perspective potentially like uh, I think Italy nearly got Ireland in the edge a couple of times Jacob Stockdale got caught I think it was Jordan Armour it was on the end of the line I think the ball actually went into touch at the end of it so it's just more a communication thing uh, I remember Jacob Stockdale's defence was questioned when he had a howler against Leinster in the RDS and um, you know got easily stepped um, by Fergus McFadden for a try got run over by Andrew Porter and you know everybody was like oh this guy can score tries but he can't defend 
grand. Like Jacob Stockdale, six foot three, you know, hundred kgs. He's a big lad. I think um, he'd be learning a lot while he's in Ireland camp, and he's just like he's only a, a young new guy to the system. And you know, I know he set records last year, but like he's still got a lot to learn. Um, and I think the cornerstone of Argentinian rugby over the last number of years has been well certainly when I played was their mall you know they were really physical they were dirty you know they get in your face um, scrum and you know line out they were set piece very strong and it seems to have completely reversed as Murray kind of talked about where you know they're kind of Big pluses seem to be out, out wide now, and mm. you know that's you got you got to play to your strengths. So if there's one weakness of Ireland's, possibly for me, it's 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 not a big weakness, but somewhere something that could be exploited is potentially in the wider channels. But you got to get the ball there first, and um, you know Ireland, I'm sure, will close them out on Saturday. Yeah, and it's up to guys to make it easier for Stockdale and, and Earls and Larmer. Like Jacob Stockdale got left in a few horrible situations last year, based on guys being just a bit tied around the ruck, maybe not folding around the corner real basic stuff so I think if Ireland get their defence around the interior of the rook in good shape then it'll make life a lot easier for those guys on the edges should also mention that Argentina do still have Lavanini so they still have the dirty (laughs) (laughs) well you touch on like the Irish defence something that they sometimes try and come up and close close the gap so like they, they leave space on the outside but they try and close that you know passing channel off so whether it be Ring Roos at 13 or Bundy at 13 they seem to shoot out pretty hard is there opportunity for Argentina to go out the back door you know not just off off 10 but off 12 as well to try and get the space on the outside is that something that you, that you potentially yeah. target yeah and Nico Sanchez has that short kicking game as well um, which we saw last year right at the end of the game he put that little uh, kick in behind and they got a, a try out of that uh, they hadn't really tried that for the rest of the game so I think that's something they'll be uh, cognizant of um, and certainly other teams as well. As soon as the line speed gets turned up, especially on that edge, that short kicking game comes into it. Now, it's a very difficult skill, obviously, but uh, a kind of mercurial player like Sanchez has that in his bag. So interesting to see how um, Argentina go after that space with Ireland's scrum half always in the line now. Yeah, even allowing for, for all of that, though, neither of you, I would say, seem or sound hugely enthusiastic about Argentina's prospects at the weekend. And I'm trying to just sort of rack my brain Maybe last year it might have been similar, but I don't know if we've ever been as confident going into a test with Argentina. Yeah, it's not a World Cup, so it should be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, There are, of course, some other tests going on. And a couple of, I mean, well, firstly, let's start with uh, Australia. They are visiting Wales and Cardiff, but... their, their captain Michael Hooper he's the fall guy now apparently there's yeah. some uh, calls for him to be chopped from his position at least yeah, yeah so I read with interest uh, the Australian media kind of saying if Australia keep losing they're going to have to get rid of one of the open sides in their back row uh, obviously David Pocock's playing eight and it is a bit bizarre he's the best open side in the world potentially I guess you could argue about that but uh, he's playing number eight I still think both of them are pretty effective and Jack Dempsey is back this weekend or he's back into the starting team a guy who was excellent before his injury and I think he gives a little bit more kind of energy pace dynamism in the back row and it should balance it up a little bit more um, we've, we've spoken about the line out kind of maybe failings and, and that is an issue for them uh, but Wales have had a torrid time against <laughs> Australia it's 13 in a row I think now nearly a decade of, of losing to them which is bizarre considering like the two playing pools are pretty balanced in terms of quality and you think you, you're going to have a 50-50 kind of record against each other but there seems to be some sort of mental block there so it's, it's a big old game for Wales I think. Yeah, huge game for Wales. I think they were stuck in second or third gear against Scotland. Scotland were very disappointing, not taking their opportunity. So much possession, um, especially in you know the Principality. I was just sitting watching the game and just going, Scotland have nobody who can get them over the game line. Like they were just battering against 
you know, a brick wall more or less. And, you know, if Wales' defence is good against Australia, you know, I expect them expect their attack to be a lot better than it was against Scotland. They'll have a lot more ball. So, um, you know, Wales have got to, got to get one over in the Aussies. And, uh, you know, I think they're due a big performance. The hoodoo ends this weekend, so <laughs> says the big man. Uh, England and the All Blacks, a chance for... Eddie Jones and Co to uh, to soften the lads up for us for next week. Um, ah, listen, what a what a game this could be! Like it, the only I suppose issue on paper is that despite England's victory last week, kind of question actually are they up to the task in terms of the quality of their team? You mean uh, yeah, and just their form and yeah, yeah, yeah recent yeah. performances? Yeah, there's a spikiness to them now, and I don't know Eddie Jones almost back to his chippiest best, uh, chippiest uh, kind of form. Um, I think they'll actually have a big performance. I don't think the quality is there to beat the All Blacks personally, but um, Chris Ashton coming back into the team uh, for a start in what four years is, is really interesting. He's um, he just works so hard off the ball. Obviously, a great finisher. I think he's improved defensively, having played fullback for a season in Toulon. That's helped a lot. They are obviously missing guys like Tuilagi. It's such a shame that he couldn't feature. We we spoke about it. it looked like he was going to be involved this November, and, and it's yeah. a massive blow because his physical power um and again a, a guy who has delivered on such a big stage repeatedly and against the all blacks as well before and exactly yeah exactly the last time they won it in, in 2012 wasn't it yeah um, and that center pairing of teo and slade just doesn't look balanced it looks like a weakness against sonny bill williams and jack goodhue a guy uh, who is really intelligent in his lines of running and obviously sonny bill williams has that offload ability in between a what looked like a pretty fractured uh, center pairing in terms of defense last weekend Teo was coming up hard Slade was sitting off at times and then vice versa at other times so I think they'll be targeting that that area of it um, physically I think England um, certainly can match them and guys like Maratoje as long as they're not giving away too many penalties uh, can can kind of stand up to that challenge of the All Blacks but I just think their ability to open up and Damian McKenzie at 15 adds a lot to that as well really attacking selection from the All Blacks so it's a great chance for Joe Schmidt obviously to do his scouting um, but I'd expect the All Blacks to to build up a bit of confidence. Uh, not that they're short of confidence, but <laughs> another bit of winning momentum before they before they take on Ireland. Yeah, well, you mentioned the uh, the All Blacks confidence. Now I know you're not one for reading your fan mail, but I I go through it every now and then <laughs> in the office. You know, it's coming in. Is it's this fan mail? Well, it's 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 mail. Uh, <laughs> you did get some mail. This is a, 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 a yeah. You know, you mentioned England are spiky. Uh, the All Blacks are. Uh, <laughs> I think they're rattled. Uh, I'm from New Zealand, reads the SEMA, uh, and they laugh about Irish rugby. This is in reference, of course, to Greg Fee's comments where he mentioned that, uh, you know, they're keeping an eye on Joe Schmidt. They've, they've yeah. had a couple of coaches visit and whatnot. Uh, I don't know where you get your hype, but it's all bullshit. You're another little asshole trying to play <laughs> off their little country's rugby team and culture. Firstly, you have one of the, <laughs> one of the most internationally influenced sides on the circuit, without which you'd be 10 times worse off. Agreed? Uh, wait for the first game and see how Ireland fare instead of trying to play up a second rate team it annoys me so riders like yourself who five years ago didn't even know <laughs> didn't even know the rugby rules and now they're the best pundits in the country because they watch a little on telly riding up this is a long email actually riding up your little team's greatness at this stage after poorly winning against a poor Italy now they're world beaters what a effing joke. I like the way he blurred out uh, the F word there, despite <laughs> calling it bullshit and, and calling you, Murray, an asshole. World rankings don't always uh, reflect the strength of the team, so even if you're getting your hype from that, don't get too excited, mate. Chirp down. Christian is a great guy who plays up all the teams visiting the island. <laughs> I hope you'll write in your post-match report uh, how wet behind the ears you were and maybe stick to Gaelic football reporting. 
goes on. <laughs> it goes on, I'm afraid. I've just had to turn the page. Next headline, all blacks are shitting themselves facing Ireland. What a joke, mate. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one That's of the, pretty harsh. That's we get, yeah, pretty harsh. Yeah. We do get some angry uh, angry emails. That was uh, a new record, I think. Uh, I don't think he read the article, to be honest. <laughs> it didn't say what was, the, what was the headline, Murray? Uh, All blacks are shitting themselves. Uh, yeah, I think I went for that. I think I went quite strong. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. Greg Feek was talking about how their perceptions of Irish rugby have changed over the last 10, 15 years ago, whereas guys probably didn't even know the Irish players' names. There are still a couple of those. I remember Ardi Save in Chicago yeah. couldn't name a single Irish player, including O'Driscoll, O'Connell, all those guys. Ferris, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's changed a lot. And they've had like Scott McLeod, the All Blacks defence coach. He was in a couple of years ago before going into that position, in fairness. Um, but it is interesting that now other teams are studying them. And I think any coach in the world is going to be looking at their video kind of religiously and, and seeing what Ireland are doing, all the little techniques around contact as well. So yeah, Keith, well, I'm kind of happy I annoyed you that much. Yeah, well, I hope he's uh, hope he's listening. We do like our listeners from the Southern Hemisphere. One of them got in touch. He won a book two weeks ago. Probably only arrived this morning, but uh, there Keith, you go. Keith's not really a, a Kiwi name, would it be? It'd be more of an Irish name, Keith, would it? Well, yeah. he, he probably qualifies for Ireland through his grandparents or his yeah, parents probably. Or, or something along <laughs> those lines. Right, we better uh, pick, actually, this week's winner of the book. and Has to be Keith, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. I think Keith would... would <laughs> God knows. God only knows what he'd do with that book if it arrived in the post. Uh I suppose a book can't be clickbait, mind you. Flickbait. Uh, yeah, let's. I don't know. They were all good questions. They're all Argentina related as well. Um, let's go with Rian Mac fifteen, who who asked uh, the revenge question. Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, they were all good questions. Thanks very much for your questions. And a reminder: if you want to win a book, uh, or if you want to ask a question, uh, you can just send one to Heineken Rugby Weekly at the forty two dot e, or keep an eye on our Instagram as well. We'll have that sort of ask me a question thing up on our stories I don't know how that works uh, <laughs> I have to get the question sent to me in, in what essentially amounts to Microsoft Word but that's all we've got time for uh, thanks very much for your time this week Murray and thanks a million for joining us as well Stephen no worries thanks we'll chat you again a reminder if you want to get more from the game join Heineken Rugby Club whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly visit drinkaware.e and one final reminder before you go Ronan O'Gara in the Liberty Hall Theatre next Wednesday tickets are 20 euro uh, the venue has been changed the capacity has been expanded so hopefully we can fit you all in there and we'll see you all next week till then take care